This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is the monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Join the club by visiting charcoalbookclub.com and use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. Photography and podcasting have provided me a wonderful opportunity to meet people I otherwise might never have connected to. I've met photographers from all over the world, both virtually and in person, and it's always been a gratifying experience. Some of these people have become good friends, and though I don't get to spend as much time with them as I would like, when I do, it's always a pleasure and a blessing. Valerie Jardin has been that for me for many years. Though we share a mutual love for street photography, it's our shared appreciation for what life has to offer that connects us. The release of her new book provided an excuse for us to sit down and chat again, but as always, we managed to have a wonderful conversation between two good friends, and I hope you'll enjoy it. This is Ibadi and X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Times like, well, we've never had times like these, at least no. in, in most of our lifetimes, but there, 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 are, there are moments where it can spark a lot of people to go out and photograph, like during a lot of the demonstrations, for mm-hmm. example, that were yeah. happening last year. And finding someone that has a unique take on it is all always something that I'm eager to find because you can see a lot of images that pretty much look the same yeah. or contexts that are really similar. So what you're really kind of hungry for, at least what I'm hungry for is someone who's really going to do something that I wasn't Definitely. expecting. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I've been writing and uh, just going out there and I still shoot almost every day. I mean, you have to. I don't care what it is, but I need to take my camera out. <laughs> so how, how how were you, you know, in terms of going out and, and sh- shooting every day? You know, your usual subject matter was not available to you. So how are you, you know, exercising that creative muscle during this time? Well, for street photography, I resorted to going to areas where people were more you know, let the guards down and where, where life was pretty much normal, like the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that the, whether I was in France or here, cause we have lakes every, you can walk a mile without hitting a lake. Uh, <laughs> so there are beaches everywhere. I spent so much time just, just walking along lakes and beach area where people were unmasked and kids were laughing and you'd see smiles and you'd, you'd photograph life. A normal life, which I was craving. And I think that was more for me than actually wanting to. I, I didn't really feel a need to document the pandemic. I, and yeah. I think the only reason being that I was protecting myself and I was craving normalcy. So mm-hmm. I totally navigated around that. When I, when I was in France, I was there for two weeks in August, two weeks in October. At the time where numbers there were really good. I mean, in, in August. It would have been hard to actually catch the thing. But people were still wearing masks, but not on the beach. You had to wear a mask on the boardwalks and everything, but not on the beach. It was the only place where life was normal. And so I totally gravitated around that. So now that the lakes are frozen, I'm actually going to probably spend a lot of time on frozen lakes and and meet with ice fishermen. And I just want to, I just, I want that interaction. I want to see people. Otherwise, I've been doing a lot of contemplative photography, you know, more still life. And I actually taught a class and I'm writing a book about that, which is, you know, the other thing I love photographing anyways. And I do it almost every day, whether it's on my windowsill or, you know, anywhere I go. I just don't usually use those pictures. But now I figure, well, you know, might as well just teach about that as well. And people are craving that, craving that other way of seeing for the next few months (laughs) when we're all going to be on lockdown again. I haven't been photographing people as much because I, yeah. I, I have to deal with two people who are at high, high risk. Yeah. So I just wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable with just roaming the streets 
the way that I did in close proximity to people. But I've been doing like a lot of like urban abstracts for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, yeah. where I'm just looking at line and shape yeah. and color. And that's been quite, quite fun, but cause I could not, I could not live with not, uh, making photographs, no. you know, I, I, after just a couple of weeks of, of our initial lockdown, I was, I was ready to scratch the walls to remove <laughs> the paint with my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's, uh, it's, it's my you, little Luna that actually saved me the, the early weeks because oh, um, your dog. Yeah. Just having a puppy again was, first of all, she made us laugh when <laughs> nothing was really funny. It <laughs> was no other. And she just uh, lifted our spirits. And then I, had fun photographing her at first with my camera, then with just my phone because she's, you know, she's so much work that <laughs> I think the camera and the dog is like, no way. Uh, but now I have the camera out again and I photograph in the house when, you know, I see her in a special light or something. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, when I'm out and about with her, it's just with the phone. But that's really actually really been good for my photography because it was, you know, it's a puppy. It's like shooting street photography. It's all about the decisive moment and being quick and just, so it was actually very, very good. So that was the first, uh, yeah, April, May, that was a lot of fun. (laughs) Did you, did you experience that you kind of rediscovered where you lived photographically as a result of having less to shoot and being, you know, restricted to that location? Yeah. You're a lot less, uh, um, picky. <laughs> I know. It's like there are places that I see like I would have never even looked at that building before. And now I'm peeking through wind, old, you know, windows and looking at light. And I just completely see places for the first time again. And I think that's actually a good thing. You know, you get kind of mm-hmm. spoiled. You travel the world and you see new things all the time. And and now for the first time for a whole year, pretty much you're, you have to make do with your neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I posted a shot this morning of I just saw that, basically, yeah. yeah, that I just, it's the wall that adjoins my neighbor. And I've lived here, lived here over 13 years. Yeah, and then I j- finally it. saw it, and it was yeah. like, oh my god, there's a photograph there. And I don't think that had times been normal, that I would have even picked up on that. But I've mm-hmm. just gotten really sensitive to be to not overlook things that are really close to me and that I see every day, just because it's like I need to shoot something. And so I think I've been even more hyper sensitive to the potential of things to make for a good photograph. Yeah. Even, even if I, and I also, and I urge people to do that all the time, even if you're not going to show those pictures, doesn't matter. It's, you're doing this for you and it just uh, helps fill a void. Anyways, I, I, th- I find it necessary. I mean, you can even do that in your, in your home, really, yeah. you know, well, that's what light. I like. That's what I like about your your new book, you know, about all these different exercises and all oh, these yeah. different <laughs> things that people can do in order to sort of learn how to practice street photography and you're really thorough i was going through each of those challenges and all those exercises i go i don't think she missed anything because just as soon as i would just as soon as i would think did she include this i turn the page okay there it is there it is <laughs> actually now that i'm done i uh now that i'm i'm done i find new ones i'm like oh, i'm gonna have to write part two so many more 75 more exercises <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, I find actually it would have been really fun and I didn't think of that to leave some blank pages at the end so people would actually fill their own, you know, add some exercises that worked for them. Because uh, I'm sure people have come up with a lot of other other exercises. But yeah, and, and that book is really meant to be fun. I mean, it's educational because... I give a lot of technical information, but it's really first and foremost is to be fun and to make you want to get out for 10 minutes, an hour, 10 hours, doesn't matter, whatever time you have and work on something and learn something and have fun. Yeah, because I I looked at that book as as a book I wouldn't have wanted to write just because it's such a challenge to think about everything that I do naturally without Mm -hmm. even thinking about it that I kind of sort of take it for granted that it's not something it's everyone else understands or knows. Yeah. So I, I got mad respect for you for being able to get as much as you did in that book. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I feel like, wow, well, maybe, I don't know. Everybody already knows this. And then I realize, you know, 
No, they don't. Because when you critique other people's work, they never thought of that. So then you're like, okay, no, that's, that's actually, that could be a really, uh, really good exercise. So it's really from, uh, from observations during workshops and, and critique sessions and everything that I, I had ideas like, no, uh, this may seem normal to me, my normal way of seeing, but not everybody sees that way so um yeah so far it's been really popular i can't wait for the i, I have my my advanced copy but oh it, nice uh, yeah it's gonna be it's shipping by mid-december so very soon it's shipping before christmas we know that yeah i gotta i gotta look at the the pdf that they rocky nook sent sent out to me so i was able to go through there yeah so yeah, yeah i look forward to seeing the hard copy a lot of people got both. I think it's a good book to have both because you have it oh, on yeah. your phone and you're bored on the street and you say, okay, hey, I'm just going to pick one exercise at random. So you have it on your phone and then you have the hard copy at home. And so I think one of those where there will be a lot of post-it notes and people will go back and say, okay, let's try this exercise again and see if I can do better than last year. And, you know, it's it's 75 exercises, but it's actually hundreds because you're going to do them. A lot of them you're going to do over and over again. So uh, Yeah, I think it's a great. Uh, it would be a great book to have on your your phone or tablet because mm -hmm. if you're out photographing or you're traveling, you get stuck. Yeah, which 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 happens all the time. You just open up the book and go, okay, what's something that I can do to sort of like shake things up so that I I don't get into the slump of of I can't find something to shoot or I'm <laughs> yeah. getting frustrated. Yeah, yeah. So. so so what's your go to when you're when you're struggling? When I'm struggling on the streets, yeah, uh, like if I don't, um, I mean, I do have themes and that's why the, the last part of the book is about themes because I think everyone should have a, a few things in the back of their mind that will just, you know, whether it's photographing dogs or umbrellas, whatever it is, I think it's good to have series, ongoing series that are long term. Um, so I, I can always go back to that. Otherwise, I, I just love to be surprised. I just, I know there's always something, there is going to be something the minute I I turn the corner. So um, I'm, I really like to get lost, as I say, get lost on purpose. Mm -hmm. And then um, something will trigger my attention, whether it's light or color or, or contrast. And depending on the time of day, I'll be out shooting in, in color or black and white. Anyways, those are decisions I make before I, that those are decisions I make before I press the shutter anyway. So, yeah. um, and I think that actually helps. A lot of people will shoot raw thinking, oh, I'm just going to decide later. And I don't think that's something that should be decided later. It's something that should always be decided before you press the shutter. It's part of the creative process. And I think that um, going out with certain limitations, I think will help you see better. At least it works for me. No, increasingly, I'm, I'm thinking about focusing on themes and, and, and certain motifs, not just looking for things that look interesting, because I'm, I'm wanting to put together bodies of work. And, I, and, and it, it's really coming clear to me that if I want to be able to do that, I have to have sort of an idea or a concept behind it. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to put together something that is the best of because it just kind of sits hollow. Yeah. 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 They're, they're really nice pictures, but what's the point of putting them all together? Yeah. And I think that really kind of helps to sort of get those juices flowing. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things I enjoyed that you were doing were those series where you were focusing on craftsmen. Oh, yes. I had fun. That was my first oh. uh, first time out again. Because the past few years I did art, the artist in the space. And then I did musicians at play. And I was still working on the musicians when... Um, then I started traveling again for workshops. I had gone to four different, I had done four, four trips to Europe by March already. So I, I was really busy January, February, and March. And then, and then came back after my last workshop of the year, which was so much fun. But unfortunately, all the ones after that were, were canceled. And I was still, I had still had some musicians scheduled for my musicians that play series. And then, of course, we couldn't get together. And I didn't want to photograph musicians wearing masks either, necessarily. At that point, I just wanted that, pro that project to be the same as it was. And it was really hard. I mean, you don't even feel comfortable asking to go in people's spaces, you know, so yeah. it was really difficult. And then I decided to focus on small locals, 
local businesses. And I started that in June. And so, and then even then, you know, you have to stay away from essential business because they're, you know, for obvious reasons. And then uh, making sure people are comfortable with you coming into their space, you know. And so I tell them, you know, I'm, I'll wear a mask. I'll make sure you're safe. Uh, you do your normal thing. And I always limited to 20 to 30 minutes per space anyway. So it's really short time. So I had all those extra limitations. I mean, I made limitations for all those projects. They were all going to be black and white, all horizontal frames, all settings done in camera, little or no post-processing. And that was, that was the point of those projects is for me to get out and really practice and work hard at getting the right, the, the, a good picture without, any post-processing. So I applied those. And then I had the pandemic uh, challenges on top of it. And some of those, and it was super hot. We had some days where it was 100 degrees and humid. And and those businesses were, you know, they had that mask. And I I have so much respect for people who had to wear a mask all summer during the the heat and, and working all day with a mask on because it really keeps you so much warmer and being a photographer just being out there you know working in a tight space and with all those limitations wearing a mask that added to the (laughs) to the discomfort that's for sure and then i met people and i realized how people how much people wanted people were craving that contact already and that was back in june you know we didn't think we'd have more so many more months you know of this and uh, so I, I would contact people. I said, hey, I'd love to feature your business and photograph you at work. And people were thrilled. I, I don't think I had any rejections. I mean, some people never n- never called me back, but um, no rejections. And it was really, really fun. Um, and some of them were outdoors. I, I photographed a farrier. I photographed a shoemaker. <laughs> Just odd businesses, you know, that I would have never really thought about on a normal uh, any other time. But because it was the the situation was different, I tried to do a lot of outdoor ones um, as well because you know that made sense. But that was really fun, and I made new friends, and and uh, I was so happy to send them the pictures, and it was a good good time and we all every time it's okay we'll get together again after the pandemic and we can actually (laughs) socialize because you know you you find that the few words you exchange with people and you have so much in common and and then you want to have a conversation but we can't because of the situation it's like it's just kind of crazy because i'm such a people person and uh it's really hard so i can't wait to see all those people again and we can actually sit oh yeah (laughs) i was very very inspired by what you did so i'm probably going to be following in your footsteps just not just to make photographs, but just to have an excuse to pe- to meet yeah. new people that live in my community. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of artists and craftsmen and just really interesting people that live in this town. But uh, just because of the way my life is, I don't have much of an opportunity to meet meet them. Mm-hmm. And I think this would be a real fun way of being getting more connected. Because, you know, I know from experience that how, how, how open people can be. Uh, despite, oh yeah, you know, despite how things have been over the last couple of years with all this polarization, you know, in terms of politics, um, I think most people, the great majority of people, all over the world, are very open and generous and and warm, and uh, you know, it's just that we we get convinced that we have to be scared of everybody else, and the reality oh. is that most most people are really. Pleasant, really good-hearted good. at heart, good <laughs> yeah. people. Oh, absolutely! I always say that, and and that's funny that you say that because I think there is. Um, I raised my kids, you know, being really open to other people because I. That's something I realized after moving here and raising kids here um, that kids don't even talk to other kids on playgrounds half the time because their parents tell them, no, no, you don't talk to strangers. And I thought that was really, really odd. And I always, you know, wanted my kids to talk with strangers, you know, by, by, you know, I mean, within, within boundaries, but (laughs) uh, because it, it shocked me how people didn't want, you know, yeah, didn't want their kids to talk with with strangers. And I've seen that on playgrounds, you know, with, with little kids. And I thought, how shocking, what kind of, what adults are those people going to be, you know, if they're, 
they don't want to talk with strangers. I love that. That's that's what I love to do. I, yeah. Yeah, I was watching um, a YouTuber, a photography YouTuber, Omar Gonzalez, and he was he was photographing his new motorcycle. And he mentioned this woman from Holland who travels around the world on a motorcycle. Oh, fine. So she started in India and went through Iran and, and uh, Kazakhstan and just all over the place. She went to South America. And in just the, the few videos that I, I saw, um, she was engaging with people all over the place. And they were all so welcoming and, and warm and yeah. and people inviting her over to their homes for tea or to eat or whatever it was. And I was looking at that and it was like, it was so heartening for me to see that. And I didn't realize how much I needed to be reminded of that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. because with all the negativity going on, it was like, Oh yeah, really people are, are can be really good. If, yeah, yeah. if you're in the, right. the right mindset and I kind of mm -hmm. like, and that's one of the things I'm looking forward to when I get back on the streets is being able to engage with people again. Because mm -hmm. I love those moments as much as I love the photographs is those moments that I get to engage with others. Yeah. Even though a good majority of my photographs are done candidly where people are not aware, there are moments where I am engaged. And I often look at those photographs and remember them fondly as a result of that, you know, one time interaction with someone. Yep. Yeah, and people you stay in contact for a long time. I mean, I'm still in contact with, uh, I had a series for several years uh, called Beautiful Smiles of Strangers. And I it was only about smiles. So I would usually just um, tell people, wow, I just love your smile. And it could be anywhere. It could be at a market. It could be uh, a, a, a police officer. It could be anyone. I would just go to them and said, wow, what a great smile you have. And then I would photograph them. And then I would ask their names. And then sometime I would say, hey, do you want the picture? I'll send it to you. And I've, I'm still in contact with people I met in Australia that way. That, oh, really? and that was wow. like, I don't know, when I was teaching there about six years ago. So yeah, I love that. And sometime I actually have a conversation and I completely forget to take the picture because it's more about <laughs> the human connection anyways, you know? Yeah. You, you use exclusively the X100 series of cameras. Are you, are you using the V now? Uh, yes, actually. Um, I've had the V since uh, January, and then I was at the uh, the launch in London, okay. the big launch, yep, in February. That's all I use, except when I use my lens baby. Then I put those on my old X-Pro2. I do actually. I do use the lens baby quite a bit this these days. I have three or four of them uh, because it, when things are kind of drab, you know, the lens mm -hmm. baby make everything look a little bit more magical. So <laughs> I love it. But you're like me. I like working with one camera, one lens. Mm -hmm. And you know, whenever I take my my workshops, I see I see people with a variety of different lenses, zoom lenses, and you know, and I I. I I'm always suggesting just keep it really simple. Mm -hmm. uh, we both work that way, and I, I and I think we have similar reasons why. But let's let's hear you say explain why you prefer working so simply. Oh well, first of all, we're so much um, faster when we know. Well, first of all, it's about knowing that camera so well, um, and that's why I've been using it for exclusively for. Uh, what, seven years now? I don't even remember when I started. And so knowing where, you know, the dials so well that you don't ever have to go into a menu. And uh, and then the focal length being so consistent, I like it in a body of work too. Uh, but also knowing you can shoot blind because you know exactly where you need to stand to get exactly the shot you envision because that becomes the way you see. And I think, um, again, those are limitations that will help you get uh, the job done um, once it becomes an extension of your vision. And it really, the, the camera should not get in the way. And, and, and I don't care how, how much you love gear or... Uh, changing camera or having other different cameras, it's, it's disruptive. And I think it's counterproductive to your vision and creativity, because if you have to look in a menu to make changes every so many minutes, you, 
it's distracting and you're not staying in the zone of whatever you're shooting, whether it's abstract or street. And so mm-hmm. getting the camera that you know is going to work for you, letting, letting it do a lot of the work and controlling, uh, just a few things to just to, to, um, to really tell the story, um, will help you be a better photographer. So I really believe in, in those limitations. Charcoal Book Club is a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collection. They have offered books by photographers including Saul Leiter, Jason Eskenazi, Mark Steinmetz, and many others. The books themselves are expertly curated to ensure that you receive amazing content to enjoy and inspire you. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., subsidized elsewhere. And if you're not feeling a month's selection, that's not a problem. Swap it for a different one of a similar value. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today. You won't be disappointed. And use the code the Candid Frame at checkout to receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. And thanks to the many of you who have chosen to support the Candid Frame financially this year. Your contributions have allowed us to continue to produce the show on a weekly basis and meet all the costs of production. If you've enjoyed this season but haven't contributed yet, it's not too late. And it's easy to do by becoming a Patreon supporter. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Just $5 a month from you can make a big difference. Thank you, as always, for your support. You're using a 23, which is the equivalent of a 35 millimeter. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering whether... The, the changes in terms of as a result of the pandemic sort of affected how you shoot people because sometimes you can shoot fairly intimately with that, mm-hmm. but then you're also conscious of the fact that at least now you Closer. can't be so close with people. So how, yeah. how are you sort of adjusting with, with, with that? Um, I never change lenses. A lot of people have asked me that. Are you going to use a longer lens? And I was like, nope, nope. I will adjust. I will adapt. And I did. Um, I find that um, if you stay within six feet of, I mean, uh, further than six feet from people, you can still, it's six feet is still actually pretty close in a frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then it's okay because I wasn't doing projects, pandemic projects as, you know, wanting to, um, photograph people with masks for projects and things like that. So I found other ways, more minimalist way to photograph life on the street. It could be a silhouette far away. So there was, I was a much more, I'm already a pretty minimalist, uh, photographer, but I was even more minimalist during, during all those months. Uh, I had a lot more um, anonymous type of photographs where um, they're either beautiful, beautiful silhouettes at sunsets or people in an urban landscape, but they're very small, but, you know, draws mm-hmm. your attention right away. So there's so many other ways to shoot street photography that you don't have to be close to people. That never bothered me. There's already, And I like all those different ways. You know, a lot of people are only in your face. And I feel sorry for those photographers because <laughs> it must have been really difficult to photograph the past year. Um, uh, but I'm not. I mean, I can get really close to people, but I find so many other ways to see the world. There, you know, I can. I love hands, and it's yeah, it's been more difficult. I haven't uh, added to my hands collect hands series of hands collection because I can't really get that close to people. Where I follow people and I'm within inches of their hands at market or something. So those, yeah, that's on hold. But there's so many other ways to see the world and document it. So I never, never bothered me. What's always interesting about writing writing a book is because you have to think about your process mm-hmm. in a way that you don't normally have to consider when you're just doing it. In writing this book, did you feel like you discovered something new or that you saw your approach in a way that you hadn't before? Um, well, I saw some... It was more... It was not so much about 
when I was writing it so much as doing the research in all my catalogs of photos, you know, then I saw a lot of, uh, um, and deciding which picture I would use to illustrate each exercises. And I was actually surprised that I could illustrate with my own work all those different exercises, you know, clearly, because I needed pictures that were, you know, that would really uh, illustrate the point and without using other people's pictures. And, uh, and I found that, and I was actually uh, quite pleased that it's like, wow, and I could probably do a lot more too. You know, I probably could dig through my archives and find other pictures to illustrate other other exercises. And it's often the way I did it is from the picture first, mm-hmm. and then and then finding the exercise that would match that picture. And I, I also saw, you know, you go back several years and you see how your work has evolved. That was really interesting. Every time I write a book, I find that really interesting to go back 10 years and see uh, how your work has changed. And that's a good thing. And the things that are stay consistent too, because people tell you, oh, I always know where you wait when it, that it's your work. When I look at, when I see your work on social media and I always find like, really? Because I find that it has changed a lot, but there is always that common thing, you know, yeah. like I'm not a, I'm not a busy photographer. I'm not a crowd photographer. I like simple. I like clean, I'm like quite minimalist. So that is something that you see throughout my my career as a photographer that has never changed, but uh, otherwise my approach has changed a lot. So, yeah. So do, do you feel your style came naturally or did it come with some intentionality? Totally naturally. Cause I'm so spontaneous and I shoot for me. I think that's, you know, that's the one thing too. Either you shoot for an audience or you shoot for yourself. And I, I always made a point, not at the beginning. I think at the beginning, especially with social media, you tend to start shooting for an audience because you kind of want recognition and, and then you, you want to feel good about what you do. So you want people to respond accordingly. And then after a while, you start just thinking, well, I don't care. I really don't care if people react or not. And I find that my favorite photographs, the ones that have the most merit are the ones that get the less likes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Obviously, you know, <laughs> yeah. because people can be wild or beautiful silhouette, but those are actually quite easy to do. Whereas uh, a true uh, emotion that you capture on the street that, you know, you feel so good or humor, but good street photography humor, you know, subtle, but clever. And those, you know, those are rare. You know, <laughs> Those are rare to capture. And so... I find that people don't react to that. Maybe they don't understand or they may not understand how difficult those shots are. And I think as an artist, not only the, of course, the the photograph has to be appealing, but this, it's also the merit that comes with it, that only you are aware of most of the time, but yeah. you're the one person you need to please. So that's what it makes. That's why I insist on my work always being candid, never stage, never post because no one would care. No one would know, but I know, and that's really what matters. Yeah. Cause the, the images I'm most excited about are the ones that I know are a challenge for me mm-hmm. and I'll post them knowing they aren't exactly what I wanted, but I'm excited because I can see the direction in which it's taking me. And for me, that's much more sort of interesting. And usually those images get less of a response. And like you said, it could be that people, you know, just don't like it or just don't get it. But for me, it doesn't matter because I see that there's something different that's happening here. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I want to explore more of because the pictures that I know get likes uh, if I was a slave to that, uh, I would never make any progress because yeah, I would just be re- yeah. I would just be producing the same things over and over and yeah. over again. And, and it's it's easy to always produce the same thing, you know. <laughs> and oh, I yeah. think that's also the challenge. You know, you, you you can work with a certain light and and re- and repeat a, a really great uh, ple- uh, photograph. Con- consistently i mean even with the mm-hmm. same backdrop but with when you work with light and the right subject you can repeat that over and over again but then 
it's boring for yourself as a photographer. So I just don't get that. That's why I, that's why I'm all, all over because I, uh, I respond to things, uh, on the spot and yeah. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm really gonna, uh, go out with, Oh, I'm just gonna do silhouettes. No, maybe something else better is going to come along. So I'm, I'm really spontaneous, but that's a personality thing. Yeah. Yeah, right now, when when uh, most of the stuff that I'm doing uh, is when I'm running around doing chores or doing errands, so I always have my camera with me, so I just go ahead and make the shots. And I find that right now, um, most of it is is that I'm just practicing composition. Yeah, that that's really all I'm really really doing, just because my normal subject matter isn't available to me. And I like I like the photographs, but I think it's it's. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that serves me when I get back to doing the the more documentary and more street stuff. Because mm -hmm. I think that I, it's not that I want that other work to be as formal and as controlled, but I want what I'm doing now to inform it. And yeah. I want it to be looser. I want it to feel spontaneous, but I still feel like I'm I'm interested in as making it as effective a frame as I can. So I'm sort of stri striking a balance between formality and spontaneity in, in, in mm -hmm. the photograph. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, but I know that it's that th that's my general intent, sort of going yeah. going forward. And and I think it will it will serve you well in whatever you, else you're going to do. And I think what and that's why it's important to keep shooting, even though, yeah, it seems like, you know, boring and it's always the same thing and we're not going anywhere. Everything we learn, the way we learn to bend light, you know, to create a certain a certain photograph, it doesn't matter if it's an object, everything you learn will serve you and make you a better photographer and all those exercises that you can do even if it's not in the genre of street photography it doesn't matter it's still gonna it's gonna build on i think those are kind yeah. of yeah what, what differences do you do you note in terms of how you think or how you shoot as compared to being here and when you're back in back in france is there any difference um, well, of course, I'm more excited when I'm uh, in a place that I, <laughs> I don't have access to every day. Uh, I think it's it's normal. Um, although between here and and France, you know, those are my two homes. So uh, I they're not people would think, oh, you're going to France. It's so exotic. So, no, it's home. You know, mm. I prefer if it was. You know, Wisconsin, it'd be a lot closer, but you know, <laughs> be less, uh, less, uh, less trouble to go see my family. So for me, those are two homes. Um, however, France will, has always been and will probably always be the place where I'm the happiest as a photographer. Even though I love shooting around the world and I love, you know, discovering new cities, uh, I'll never get tired of Paris. And I know that because the more I photograph in Paris, the more I fall in love with the city. And, um, and that's a lifetime of being there. So, um, so going back and forth. Yeah. It, I wish I lived in New York and not Minneapolis, <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. And, yeah. and there are there there are pictures, there are stories everywhere, and and really working on those projects, um, and 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 the one about you know the the shop local project was was kind of different because of the pandemic. But the ones that I did before the the artist and the space was probably my favorite. And just meeting artists, painters, glass artists, it didn't matter, jewelry makers, and. Come, going in their studio and photographing them at work and 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 photographing the space uh, and meeting those people I mean there was there was no better place to be than home you know this was a commute this is a community I discovered here in in uh, in the art district of Minneapolis that have become friends and I and I'm planning on visiting during the winter month because they love having people you know I mean with all the precautions we need to take now uh, we can still you know um, meet with artists and uh, you know you go in their studio and and uh, you wear a mask and you can still do that so I'm planning on going again this winter for sure and photographing spaces and people 
I love I love the look of your pictures. Are you just um, using the JPEGs straight out of the yep. camera? Or are you? Yeah, those are Acros yellow filter. I push my lights and my shadows a bit, and that's it. I it, five seconds or less less in Lightroom. Uh, usually, I will um, add a little clarity uh, mm -hmm. and um, a vignette adjust exposure slightly if necessary but yeah the point is to get them right in camera it's an exercise in limitation and all three projects have been with the same um the same goal it was a next and it's funny because those projects have become really popular i've actually uh taught classes on how to do such a project and um and and they were absolutely were 100 for me i i I thought I would blog about them just to give the artist or the musician some visibility, but I never even thought they would someday become a book and they probably will. So, yeah. So, yeah, so I think you put your heart in it, you know, yeah. it shows. So, yeah, Your in-person workshops is something we, we've talked about, the ones that you do in France and, and elsewhere, but you've been doing this ongoing um, sort of virtual class with, mm -hmm. with students. Yeah. And how has, you know, the restrictions because of the pandemic uh, influenced <laughs> You know, how you teach and what the students have to do in terms of their assignment. It must have been very interesting. Um, no, it's been, uh, I don't give assignments with those classes. They're individual classes. People sign up. It's one hour. They can pick one. They can come again, but they're completely independent. Some of them are actually available for download. But um, so they're... I didn't want to do, you know, okay, this is a two-week class and then you have assignments because I... I have way too many things, uh, too many things going. So I, I needed to just plan things that were short term. And then uh, it's been good. And I've been speaking at uh, photo clubs a lot and photo societies and online um, conferences. So, yes, it's not this fun, you know, as having a real audience in front of you. Uh, but it, it helps. It actually people have actually uh, also said to me um when they attend a webinar, they said, we they totally forget about what's happening in the world. And it's like their moment of, you know, peace. And, and mm -hmm. I feel the same way, you know, just sharing uh, what you love with a community. You, you forget, you forget the good and the bad. You're totally focused on that and sharing that passion. And, and uh, I love it. So it's a little bit of, you know, like being on a workshop, <laughs> except that <laughs> it's not as fun. <laughs> but it's still about sharing and 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 inspiring, and that's really what makes me the most happy, basically. So, yeah. So that's very selfish in a way because I'm doing those also for my survival. You know, mentally, I'm happy when I'm teaching, and that's where whether it's and and mostly live. Books are another way of teaching, but they're not as fun. So, you know, uh, when, you, when you teach and you're taking students out to locations that you've been, you know, several times over, what do you, do you get a new takeaway each time? Yep. And I do change itineraries a lot. If it's a place where I've, I've been many times, I change, I rotate itineraries because I need to keep it exciting for me too. Yeah. And I always find new itineraries or I bring a, a local friend along who is going to show us a couple of different neighborhoods that I wouldn't have uh, thought about. So I love doing that, especially when I'm in Paris because um, otherwise I, I know all the spots and all the shots so it's great for some of the sh for some of the photo walks where i'll tell my student okay now next we're going to be in that area so you have to look for that and the light will be just like that so you know it's easy to give them the shots and have them practice certain techniques because i know exactly what to expect mm -hmm. uh, but i also a lot of people come on the workshops to also watch me shoot so uh so if it's if i already know where the shots are or what the light's going to be um it it gets a little repetitive so i like to mix it a lot so the predictability is good for teaching some techniques but there is also the something fresh i think is important for the instructor as well um Otherwise, um, I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> no, no, that's that you've answered it. Um, but uh, I have to say that I'm. This is going to be what my fourth time going. I think yeah. Cynthia has been there more times than me because she says I'm going without you 
because you don't <laughs> want to go. So she, I think she's been there six or seven times. Okay. She goes with her sister or her friends. But I'm going to actually be taking finally a my French class oh, to learn good. the language because I neither of us speak French other than a few words. So it's starting in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be taking French 101. So hopefully that'll make negotiating the city and, and the people <laughs> a, a little easier. I always yeah. feel kind of out of sorts um, not doing it. But, you know, y- y- you take students who don't necessarily speak the language. And I know that it, when I'm in countries where I don't speak the language, it's always that much more difficult for me to sort of engage with people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can raise the camera and smile, but I'm also always a little bit self-conscious about getting as intimate as I want with people where I don't share the language. So how do you, you know, what tips do you share with students that you can share with me to make that a little easier? Oh, well, anywhere you go, I think it's nice to learn a a few words. And uh, I try to do that, you know, whether I'm teaching in Italy, I always have a local expert with me when I'm in a a place that I uh, that is new because I can teach anywhere. It's just don't, I don't want to be focusing on the itinerary. I want to focus on teaching. So I have a local expert with me. But to know a few words, I think, helps. But uh, at least to show people that you're making an effort. You know, so many times do I see tourists just approach a French vendor assuming that they speak English. And I find that so rude and it drives me crazy <laughs> because it's like, no, you know what? How often do you do the French? How often do you think the French could do that in the U.S.? Just approach someone in French, assuming yeah. that they speak French, you know, never. And we would never do that. So why would you assume that anyone in Paris should speak English? You know, they speak other language other than English a lot of time. You know, English is not always the first foreign language we learn in school. And so, uh, yes, most people will have a little bit of English, but not uh, not if you just, and, and louder is not easier to understand either. <laughs> <laughs> but you see that a lot. It's actually quite funny. Uh, so I think um, it's really about um, being... Uh, being approachable and I'm, you know, you hear so much about, you know, Parisians not being friendly and it's so not true. And I find that each time that people have told me that I feel it's probably more a reflection of themselves because it was their approach because I, and on my workshops, I've seen that many times, a lot of uh, people come from all over. They'll come from India. They'll come from Australia. They'll come from the U S all over Europe to meet me in Paris. And so the, a lot of those people have been to Paris a lot of times before they actually came on the workshop. And so many times um, I've heard people tell me, wow, I've totally discovered a new Paris. Well, first of all, I was off the beaten path, you know, during the Mm -hmm. workshop. So I really discovered some neighborhoods and I never realized how friendly people were. And that made, always made me so happy. I'm like, wow, I'm like an ambassador <laughs> for my <Yeah>. country, <laughs> you know, uh, because if, if you, if you approach them, uh, the right way and with a smile and you're, you're, um, it, everybody's always willing to help. I mean, yes, there'll be the occasional jerk, but that's everywhere, you know, <laughs> they're there. Uh, but most of the time people are so friendly. They go out of the way to show you something that you probably missed in that neighborhood because they know the story so well and they want to share with you. We've had that happen in so many, uh, many neighborhoods in Paris during workshops. So it's amazing. So um, I've, ha- I've had much more of those examples and stories than negative ones. And and most of my workshop students don't speak French, you know. So how do you say you look amazing? May I make your photograph? I said, oh, vous êtes magnifique. J'aimerais vous prendre en photo. Um, I mean, there are so many ways to do it, you know, that is genuine and not creepy. That's what I'm open. going for. I don't <laughs> want to come off as, as creepy. <laughs> well, funny. <laughs> Well, my last question question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend a photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Okay, well, actually, uh, it will be Neil Kramer. And we talked a little bit about him before we started the the recording. Um, He's uh, on Instagram under Niloshka, 
and he's in Queens, and he's the person who's done the best uh, lockdown project, the most sensitive. Uh, it's photographs and and of uh, text. He was on my podcast, so I'll invite people to go back and listen to that episode. But I've seen his project evolve, and he's still working on it, and it's amazing. Uh, so I'll invite people to go check it out. He's a Neil, Neil Kramer, Nilushka, uh, in Queens, New York. Okay. And I have links for him in, in the show yeah. notes so people can check him out. But, uh, mm-hmm. Barry, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Congrats, congratulations on the book. Thank you. And uh, have a, a lovely time in France before I get there. I will. I'll Warn save some pictures for you. <laughs> I'll save some pictures <laughs> for you. <laughs> we'll probably see you there soon. Thanks to Valerie for joining us. Find out more about Valerie and her work by visiting ValerieJardinPhotography.com. And if you haven't already, check out our podcast, Hit the Streets with Valerie Jardin. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Ian Wright and David Julian for their recent contributions. We also provide a series of eBooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame.